0: Hello everybody, and welcome to this bonus episode of the 1515 podcast. My name is Andrew Wood. I'm a partner of the funds team here at Maples and Calder in Hong Kong. Uh, Joining me today is regulatory associate Dan Moore. Now, as Pat Head mentioned in this month's 1515, this bonus episode is to give an update on the Silicon Valley bank. Now, please note the contents of this podcast do not constitute legal advice and should be taken as a general update only. Now, before we get started just some usual like housekeeping to cover if i may if listening in from your podcast app you'll find speaker information in the description and if you've clicked on the media player link sent to you by email you can find this information in the notes section last but not least don't forget to subscribe on apple Podcasts, spotify or google podcast that's it let's get started okay so before we get into the weeds of issues and legal analysis, just a bit of background if I can. Uh, on the 8th of March, Silicon Valley Bank announced a need to book a $1.8 billion US dollar loss after selling investments to cover increasing withdrawals. They also at the same time announced a plan to raise $2.25 billion through an equity issuance. Now the following day on the 9th of March, their stock crashed and the VC community started pulling their money out and advising others to do the same. the following day on the 10th shares trading halted and the fdic in the u.s took control of the bank and was named receiver then there was a brief spell over the weekend and then on the 12th which was sunday night in the u.s monday morning here in hong kong a recovery plan was announced by the fdic which stated that effectively from the 10th of march the fdic transferred all deposits both insured and uninsured to a new entity that was called the Silicon Valley Bridge Bank. This bridge bank would then be operated by the FDIC as it continued to market SBB to potential bidders, and the FDIC stated in their announcement that depositors would have full access to their money and all depositors of the institution would be made whole. Now, in continuing with that spirit, during the course of the next week uh, many of our clients found that their money was accessible again. Now, in the initial chaos following the the crash of the bank towards the end of that week and before the FDIC announced its recovery plan, we had a number of our clients approaching us to discuss what they should do on the very basis that there were genuine concerns doing nothing might mean that uh, the money that was deposited with SVP may never be seen again. Many back concerned clients were exploring the prospect of moving money to other accounts uh, on an urgent basis. And in many of those cases, those accounts were those of, of GPs or managers or SPVs below the funds that they were managing rather than their investment funds themselves. Now, this raised a few interesting legal issues for their investment funds domiciled in Cayman. In light of obligations under, for instance, the Private Funds Act and the Monetary Authority in Cayman's asset segregation rules, which require the segregation uh, and, and accounting for funds of private funds separately from those of managers, operators, and also require the need for cash to be booked in accounts opened either in the name of or for the account of the private funds themselves. It also gave rise to a bit of navel-gazing around whether or not all of this required funds to notify SEMA of the circumstances they found themselves in. Under two particular heads, there's an obligation under the Private Funds Act to inform SEMA of any change that materially affects information previously communicated to them. Uh, but also under SEMA's Mutual Fund Statement of Guidance, which we extrapolate and apply to private funds as well for good measure, uh, there is an obligation to notify SEMA if there's any matter which could materially and adversely affect financial soundness.
1: Thanks very much, Andrew. So as this continued, it became evident pretty quickly that the Cayman branch was, I think it's fair to say, quite popular with Bayesian depositors. I think that's fair to say. Rather than the US banking operation. So quite quickly, we began receiving Queries from clients who were sending us their account, opening documentation, and asking us to look at it and consider what options might be available. Uh, some examples of the documentation, while, while, while we haven't seen, I'd imagine, comprehensive forms of every kind, stated specifically that deposits would not be covered by FDIC deposit insurance on the basis that these deposits were payable only at the U.S. branch of Silicon Valley Bank. Yeah. So on that basis, while the U.S. law question ultimately, that was the basis on which the um, deposits were not considered to be covered by the FDIC uh, insurance initially. And And it was for a period of time, I would say, unclear whether this bailout would extend to US depositors beyond the FDIC insurance point. It was announced on the 27th of March then that First Citizens Bank and Trust Company had assumed all deposits and certain other assets and the liabilities from the bridge bank. But it then became clear that the Cayman branch was specifically excluded from that, which was giving us some I guess unwelcome, but at the same time, some clarity as to what was going to happen with respect to the Cayman branch. Absolutely. So in terms of the questions we were being asked, one of the very first questions we received was, does Cayman have any depositor protection provisions itself? And the answer is, well, yes it does, but they're very limited and don't apply in this case of SVB Cayman. The the reason being that the limited depositor protection provisions in in Cayman only apply up to firstly 20,000 Cayman Islands dollars, so about 24k US, and they only apply to banks holding what's called a Class A banking license. And these are banks who are authorized to take deposits locally in Cayman and operating through a company incorporated in the Cayman Islands. That is not the case with SVB Cayman. It holds a Class B banking license, which means that it does offshore business only, and it doesn't take deposits locally. So those protections, those Cayman-specific protections, limited as they are, don't actually apply. As this developed as well, we were obviously keeping a very close eye on the statements of the regulator in Cayman on on this point. And uh, SEMA did issue uh, some statements. Uh, The first statement was on the 15th of March, which confirmed that SEMA were actively assessing the situation and were engaging with both SVB Cayman and the US regulators. But it didn't really give, understandably, any specific comfort with respect to what was going to happen. However, we then received a second statement from SEMA on the 31st of March, noting that FDIC would soon issue notices to customers on next steps. And in the event, that's what FDIC did. Uh, they contacted uh, customers of the Cayman branch and clarified the position, which was as general unsecured creditors. And the notifications we've seen from FDIC require proof of claim by, by 10th of July. Well, that may that may vary depending on notices. We haven't seen them all. So with this clarity, clients then began to consider what the new outlook was in terms of, of what they might do and what actions they might take. In terms of what the Cayman specific steps one could take are. They, are, they are reasonably limited, we would say, in terms of the documentation, it is governed by US law. So in terms of the types of um, steps one, one might consider taking in Cayman, an obvious one would be to, as a deposit holder who cannot access their accounts, they do have the status as an unsecured creditor who hasn't been paid. That does give a depositor the right to uh, apply to wind up the bank, that would result in potentially a couple of things. It could result in the appointment of official liquidators to SVB Cayman, who could uh, realize and distribute the assets among unsecured predators. It might also result in the regulator appointing a controller to the bank uh, under the Banks and Trust Companies Act as revised. That has happened in the past. It is a, it is a power the regulator in Cayman does have to do, uh, to appoint a controller. And the purpose of a controller is to investigate and report back to SEMA and the court. So in instances where that has happened. The response of SEMA has been to uh, subsequently appoint a liquidator to that institution. So again, th- these are things that could happen, but I guess the important point to make is that none of these give necessarily a better outcome than uh, perhaps applying to, and just simply uh, uh, putting in your notice of claim with EBDIC and uh, waiting for that outcome, because there's obviously a cost benefit analysis here. In terms of those options, these are the things that you know have been considered, but again, it's a cost benefit analysis in terms of, of what actions we take what costs might be involved and in terms of what the outcome might look like, whether it would look any different. I think one point we would offer at this stage is that should someone wish to put in their notice of claim to FDIC as part of the US receivership, that, in our view, would not necessarily prevent uh subsequent actions being taken in Cayman. So so options are open and I think it, it would broadly be sensible for most creditors to engage in the FDIC process uh, while considering what other options might be available in Cayman.
0: Yeah, I know. I think that makes perfect sense just to emphasize that it is a little unclear at this point, if you were to submit a unsecured creditor claim through the FDIC process and then separately seek to wind up the Cayman branch, whether that would actually yield a different result, given you would be an unsecured creditor in both instances. All of this has also given rise to a, an interesting question because just just to dial things back here a little bit, we're talking about a Cayman branch. We're not talking about a separate legal entity that's based in Cayman that is regulated uh, in that capacity, but rather a, a branch of the US banking institution that is registered in Cayman. And there has been a question raised to which we do not have an answer as it's ultimately a U.S. law question, but it's an extremely good question as to how the, the wholesale onshore bailout by the FDIC is going to affect the integrity of the Cayman branch deposits, given presumably they all ultimately sit on the same balance
1: sheet, given they're all of the same legal entity. Right. And then just to layer on top of that, understandably, clients are asking fundamental questions of, you know, how do we get our deposits back and how long will that take? And to emphasize as well, this is a fluid situation. One key point is that as far as we're aware, there's no visibility on the quantum of deposits that are actually attributable to the branch. That is relevant because it feeds into the strategies people might take around this. Obviously different clients and different, different entities will have different exposure to, to SVP Cayman. But the question of how much, if anything may be left for unsecured creditors is is largely dependent you know, on the quantum of deposits and, and and various other variables, which again we don't have visibility on. In terms of timing, there is a hard stop date for notices of claim to go into the US receivership. However, after those notices of claim go in are adjudicated and after the assets of SVB generally are realized across across that process, that's timing that we also don't really have any visibility on. So again, It is a fluid situation and one that we're continuously monitoring with interested parties.
0: Absolutely. So so do look out for further updates from us on this and and the regulatory landscape more generally. I think we can leave it there. Thank you very much for listening. And thank you, Dan, for, for taking the time to do this podcast with me and for all of the listeners out there. It's always much appreciated. Be sure to listen to this month's usual 1515 if you haven't already. And do look out for the one next month as well. Thank you and take care.